Welcome to the Lawful Assembly podcast, a show about the intersection of law, religion, and activism. It is hosted by lawyer and activist Reverend Craig Moosen. It's produced by the Division of Mission and Ministry at DePaul University. Craig, in the last month, almost month that the, the new president has been in office, there has been a flurry of executive orders. He's been very busy when it comes to immigration. There's been so much that has happened. We should spend a few different shows here talking about each piece. So let's start small. Tell me about a section of this, a piece of this, and we'll see if we can break it down a little. Great idea, Brian. Uh, today, I'd like to focus on refugee resettlement. For the last several podcasts, we've been mostly focused on asylum issues. It's important for the American public to understand how our Refugee Act of 1980 distinguishes among groups of people that might be able to obtain safe haven in this nation. There are basically three main areas under the law. We've talked about asylum, those fleeing persecution that don't have the opportunity to go back to their country and get the proper paperwork and medical work. They may not be able to go to the police department because the police are persecuting them. They flee their country and seek asylum at our border. The other way uh, is what's called an affirmative asylum application, where someone might be in this country for a number of reasons, and there might be a coup or a change in government in their home country, or something happens that puts them at risk and they're afraid to go home, and they can apply affirmatively for asylum. Both of those programs usually involve attorneys, if they can obtain pro bono attorneys or pay for a private attorney, involve some form of interview or litigation. But the Refugee Act of 1980 also established a refugee resettlement program. Every year, the president is asked to determine a number of refugees that the United States would like to resettle in this country, often by area of the world or nationality, and informs the Senate. Since 1980, the number of refugees a president has designated has varied greatly. In the early years after the Vietnam War, we welcomed over 120,000 refugees a year. After 9-11, it went down to less than 20,000. The Obama administration started to build that up, and we were close to 100,000 in the last years of the Obama administration. The Trump administration determined to restrict refugees, lower those numbers greatly. In his last year, he designated 15,000 refugees, 15,000, of which only 1,000 or so were eventually admitted. Now, how is this program different? The key is that much of the vetting and much of the preparation of the applications are done overseas, and organizations work with the U.S. government, work with the United Nations High Commission for Refugees to process and to vet. The vetting is very strict. Uh, refugees take almost two years overseas to ensure that their identities are accurate, to uh, ensure the Medical histories are accurate and the records are checked and rechecked and with uh, many different agencies. We have been a global leader in resettlement until the Trump administration. After the federal government determines who is eligible under that program, the government then works with local resettlement agencies. We have a number of those agencies in Illinois, many in Chicago, such as Refugee One, World Relief, and a number of others. These organizations welcome the refugees when they arrive at the airport, and they prepare them to become engaged in the communities. 
They work with local congregations, synagogues, and mosques and other neighborhood organizations to sponsor these individuals, to give them job training, medical care, and involve them in the communities. So the major difference is this issue of litigation, both for the asylees at the border and those applying affirmatively. The adjudication happens in this country. The Refugee Resettlement Program, the decision-making is made overseas. And by the time that person is given their airplane ticket to fly in, there's already a process where people in the United States are ready to welcome them and begin their resettlement in the United States. So what happens if they come in with loved ones? I mean, I know before we were separating families and putting people in different detention centers. What happens when that sort of process is already taken care of before they get here? We can have a celebration of welcome, Brian. Uh, Agencies that work with the refugees often have the sponsoring churches or mosques or synagogues send members to the airport. There's balloons, signs. Uh, The family gets off as a family unit, at least the family unit that's been approved, and they're welcomed right at the airport at the very start. Very big difference then, separation and detention. How does refugee resettlement happen? Like, what? how is this accomplished? Brian, this is a tremendous success story of cooperation between government, faith organizations, volunteers, and local communities. There are a number of agencies within Illinois. They're both faith-based and community-based organizations. They have staffs that work with job skills, education, medical care, language skills. Uh, They have staff members that recruit local congregations or community organizations to sponsor a family. For a very small expense that the government funds in providing to these agencies, they then turn around and with local community involvement and their staff provide the welcome, training, hospitality, and engagement in the community. Uh, It's a tremendous success story. Illinois, since 1975, uh, has provided resettlement to over 123,000 refugees. It's a tremendous program that shows the benefit of faith responses, community responses, and also the response of the refugee communities as they develop. Uh, Think of Chicago, of Argyle Street in Uptown, with the Vietnamese that were resettled after the Vietnam War. Uh, Rogers Park has a number of community groups of resettled refugees. Nationally, why are Somalis in Maine or Hmong from Laos in Minneapolis? All these are benefits of a refugee resettlement program. It's, it's really a, a great experiment. Have we seen any changes to this program in the last several years, say in the last 10 years? That's the problem I'd like to talk about today. When the federal government reduced refugee resettlement from close to 100,000 down to 1,000, many of these organizations had to lay off staff, had to close offices, had to break some of those Bonds of communication with local faith groups. Think how hard it is to fulfill your budget when the individuals you're dedicated to serving aren't coming through the door. Yes, we're excited that the new Biden-Harris administration has proposed to bring the numbers back to 125,000. This podcast today, I'd like to focus on what do we have to do in the community to help these organizations be prepared for a new 
influx of refugees. And we've got some great models in Chicago and Illinois I'd like to talk about a little bit. But just keep that in mind of that difficulty of these agencies being ready to help resettle. That's where all of us involved in community organizations and faith-based organizations can reach out and help rebuild the system. The irony is Illinois was one of the leaders nationally in resettling refugees. We've had a tremendous example set by the late Dr. Ed Silverman, who was head of the state of Illinois' refugee resettlement program for almost 40 years. He started under Governor Dan Walker, thinking he'd be working for the state of Illinois for one or two years to resettle Vietnam refugees. But Ed was creative. Ed was innovative. Ed was dedicated to hospitality refugees, and he helped build this network of communities, faith-based groups, national denominations with the federal government. Ed helped influence the enactment of the Refugee Act of 1980, which included this annual process for resettling refugees. And most important, Ed knew that it would be successful to get the refugees involved in the community. And so we've seen one of the strengths of this program of the refugees themselves developing mutual assistance associations, where once those were settled, could then work with others coming in to make that transition that much easier. Today, uh, in addition to the resettlement agencies, there are quite a few ethnic community-based organizations throughout the state of Illinois that further make this program work. It benefits all of us. And I'm actually quite pleased in the spring of 2016, DePaul University's College of Law gave Dr. Silverman an honorary doctorate, and he inspired a class of graduates to think about hospitality and the wonder and the beauty of refugees resettling in our nation. I'm grateful for the friendship I had with Dr. Silverman and also the leadership he demonstrated and uh, his just joy in sharing how much we all benefit from welcoming the refugee in our midst. Well, inspired by that, what could we do? As we wait for the Biden-Harris administration to ramp up their internal processes to start the flow of refugees again, we should go to our own faith-based groups, our own congregations, our own synagogues, our own mosques, to reach out to places like Refugee One. We'll put a link in the show notes of some of the organizations that you could reach out to and begin to think about how your group, how your congregation, your parish, your synagogue, your mosque could be a sponsoring organization. Reach out to others in your community to see the success they've had. Each of these organizations have models of sponsorship that you can agree to a checklist of, we're able to do this, we're able to do that, we're able to do X. Uh, Volunteer yourself at some of these organizations. We need to rebuild this community support that made this program so successful. Let me give you an example, Brian. I've worked with a law firm of Reed Smith in Chicago, and it's a national, international law firm. And they've developed a pro bono program of working with refugees in the refugee camps in Jordan and in Greece to help prepare those refugees for their applications for resettlement. Uh, It's been an honor of mine that I was invited to join them in both Greece and Jordan uh, with my colleagues, Dwayne Sigelko and uh, the pro bono coordinator of the Reed Smith program, 
Jane Fleming and some of their other attorneys and volunteer attorneys to actually meet with the refugees. When I was in Jordan, I was told that Jordan and Lebanon were hosting over a million refugees. Think about that, Brian. Lebanon's got a population of 6 million. If we per capita welcome as many refugees in this country as Lebanon is welcoming, we'd be hosting more than 60 million. The Trump administration welcomed 1,000. There are many ways we can help. So those are two examples. Through our faith-based organizations, law firms could emulate the Reed Smith model. Uh, And Reed Smith's been very innovative. In addition to recruiting their lawyers to work with the refugees, when the U.S. pipeline was strangled by the Trump administration and the numbers were, were cut off, they've started negotiating with other countries to see if they could help and process refugees into Canada. DePaul Law School, uh, our DePaul Asylum and Immigration Legal Clinic, offers technical assistance to Refugee One and World Relief in Chicago. Uh, Our law students, therefore, are helping the process. Our students at DePaul's Refugee and Forced Migration Studies program, as well as students from our Grace School of Applied Diplomacy, have volunteered at agencies like Refugee One. There's many opportunities And I urge you that we take this time when the federal government is trying to rebuild the federal system, that we rebuild the community-based response as well. Craig, as a secular person myself, I notice that oftentimes you will will talk about churches and uh, how they reach out to these refugees. Talk to somebody who might be somebody more like me, who isn't involved in a church How does working with refugees benefit the community to someone who might be secular? Great question, Brian. There are so many ways that resettling refugees benefit our communities. As I mentioned, uh, come up to Argyle Street in Uptown and enjoy some Vietnamese meals, but also just the spirit in the community. Studies have shown that refugees often have high levels of entrepreneurship that help build companies and provide jobs in our neighborhoods. We've known that many are involved in the medical profession and have been on the front lines of medical care during the COVID pandemic. But there are other ways. I first got involved with refugee resettlement when the Illinois Conference of Churches in Springfield, Illinois, was coordinating interfaith resettlement programs in downstate Illinois. Through that program, Refugee One eventually relocated to Chicago and has become an outstanding leader in refugee resettlement. And out of that program, the Immigration Project of Downstate Illinois provided legal services for undocumented persons and asylees. Um, That program is still going strong, located in both Bloomington and Champaign. Our communities have seen new programs develop that has permitted all these processes to work. Craig, on the show notes for this episode, we'll include links to all the organizations that you talked about. We want to invite people to work with these organizations, like you said, over the next several months and try to make sure that this program is as robust in the government as it is in the public sector. Thanks so much, Craig. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for listening. This podcast is not intended as legal advice. If you'd like to learn more or check out the reference materials, 
please look at the show notes at blogs.depaul.edu slash DMM. 